Welcome to the Illenials Podcast. We're back again for another week. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. Seth, I have a new goal in life. What's your goal? So you know how I'm afraid of heights, right? Yes. I'm going to overcome that fear because I want to be the first man to nut in space. That's your new goal? Nut new goal. Nut in space. So what I want to know is like, you're scared of heights, so how long after you get into space does height stop counting? I guess, or, are, uh, or will you always be, however, how you are from where you were when you left Earth? I guess it's like as soon as gravity stops affecting me that much, I know. Don't don't add us science nerds. I know about microgravity, whatever. Yeah, we but know. Crash start... Dyson, we know you listen to this podcast. Don't tweet us about how <laughs> our stuff's inaccurate. But as soon as I start floating, I'm probably good. Then I think because at that point I can't fall anymore, right? Or if I fall, it takes a very long time. So that's true. Who cares? Uh, I'm good. But, uh, say, so I, I know what you're thinking. I know, I know some of you science nerds listening to this this episode, Bill Nye or whoever, is thinking yeah. that someone's probably already driven off in space. You're like, oh, those ISS guys, surely someone is nutted in space. Uh, okay, cool. Then I'll be the first man to nut uh, around Saturn or some shit. Yeah, you'll be the first civilian to nut in space. For civilian nut in space. There we go. That's a yeah. good one. Because like you'll you have to sneak your way onto a uh, spacecraft anyway. Because no one's going to let you on. <laughs> no, hell no. So you'll be the first <laughs> criminal. There we go. Criminal to nut in space. What is this extra 300 pounds? They, they'll never <laughs> launch. Where are we finding it? Why can't we find it? I'll have you're to like, like, <laughs> You're always like behind the door they're opening. <laughs> You just like stand behind it. They close it. You go to the other side. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dump 300 pounds of like medicine so that I can I can. <laughs> I'll just push that out the door. I'll never know the difference. You're gonna replace medicine with the opposite of medicine. <laughs> oh man, you guys thought you had the cure. Well, I'm the disease. That's yeah. that's me. I'm gonna nut around Saturn, and it'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've got a goal too. What's that? I'm gonna trick. Oh no! I'm gonna trick former guest Ben into making us a theme song. Oh yeah? Because I'm getting tired of hearing your stupid ass. Welcome, Lunials Podcast. It sounds so lame. Do no we offense. Need a theme? To, no offense to you. Uh-huh. I mean, a little offense to you. Okay. But like, it's the same thing. So like, most podcasts I listen to, like, I'm trying to take inspiration from the greats. They'll have like a theme song or something that leads them in, and then they'll like kind of. When the music fades down, they'll kind of play into the podcast, and then they'll do, like, the welcome. So there's, like, a little – there's a diff. Like they got us kind of talk for a second, and then they say, oh, welcome to the podcast. So I'm trying to, like, get that flow going for us because, I mean, I think that's why our numbers are so low. So you want to turn us into other podcasts? I want to take inspiration from other podcasts. I did, George, like our- did George Lucas make a – Akira Kurosawa movie? No, he made Star Wars and was inspired by Akira Kurosawa movies. I feel like our our uh, uh, street, hip, urban, garage band, lo-fi, unprocessed, unfiltered... Oh, those are tags on SoundCloud? <laughs> I feel like these are, are traits that make us unique. Mm, okay, okay. That's, so that's what gives us our edge. Abstract. <laughs> Is what you're saying. We're the we're the Jackson Pollock of, of podcasts, except we're not funded by the fucking CIA. That's right, Jackson Pollock. I'm calling you out, you dead son of a Wait, bitch. What? I don't think he's dead. What year was Jackson Pollock a painter? 
the sixties. The sixties? Yeah, like uh, I thought he was. Maybe? I always thought Jackson Pollock was like one of those Picasso guys from like the fucking fourteen hundreds or whatever Picasso was around. You thought a man with the name Jackson Pollock lived in Picasso times? Maybe. I don't even know what Picasso. I'm not even sure when Picasso was painting, dude. Now that I think about it, it had to be sometime in between the fourteen hundreds and now. Yeah, the, I mean, he was like, what was he like? Was he was he Italian? Pablo Picasso. I guess he's either Italian or Spanish. I guess that's true. He, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, it had to have been like ancient times, right? There like, are people listening to this podcast who are pulling their teeth out. Okay. And how we're getting so many things wrong right now. I was definitely wrong about Jackson Pollock, by the way, because he died in 1956. Okay. So, I so was, was closer a, to being right. Okay. So he was born in 1912. So he didn't live very long. Uh, yeah, he died at 44. So he, yeah, he probably fucking. But in like the backtrack, 30s. hot take. Was he funded by the CIA? I don't know about this. Yeah, it's like a couple. I um, was it was it him, Jackson Pollock, and uh, oh man, who's that motherfucker who did all those paintings of soup cans? What the fuck was his name? Oh, um, what was that dude's fucking name? Why can't we think of this? Because we're giant idiots. Oh my god, I have to know. I'm looking. Ah, uh, fuck. Hold on. We're, we're so Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. That's Fucking that's the guy. Dumb idiot. Um. Yeah. These guys were like funded by the CIA to basically they they just created art using CIA money that was like subtly like anti-communist. It was like it was this idea of like uh, undermining meaning and destroying uh, 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 real, realism. I guess. Like the so CIA it's thought, huh? It's psyops. Yeah, like the, like the government thought that literally. They, I, I think it was one of them said uh, all modern art is communistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to do, to like. I mean, basically, what people think, and this is this 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 is somewhat true. I'm just gonna say it because it's it's fun. Uh, but but like postmodernism, which is uh. uh a hard term to to a word nail that down. no one knows the definition of, especially for a moron like me. Yeah. Uh, postmodernism was basically a reaction to modernism, which was like, let's destroy truth, let's destroy objective fact, and we'll just do whatever we feel like, and we'll make art of anything. Which hey, who gives a shit? Right, that's fine with me. But the CIA funded this stuff because it was uh, like the Soviets and socialism in general relied heavily on realism to depict you know the real struggles of. Of human beings against against you know systems of oppression and capital, and so they wanted to undermine that by by funding this other art which has no meaning and just says whatever the interpreter thinks. There's no objective truth, you know. Yeah. It's because you always see people who look at these fucking paintings and look at just a bunch of fucking colors on a, on, a, on a wall, and they're like, oh, to me this represents the the the, the caging of the human heart and the spirit and the, the, and the fiery. I don't know, whatever, some dumb shit like that. Whereas realism was like, no, that's a fucking dude, and he has a fucking, he's holding like a flag, he's taking it from his dead comrade, you know. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, Pollock and and Warhol were. Were guys who kind of like uh, who who were funded by the CIA. Uh, how much they were actual agents is debatable, but they basically got money from them to make their dumb uh, uh, do whatever you feel like art and destroy realism or, or modernism forever. So right. that soup can stuff makes more sense now. Yeah, it's it's very bad. Why does anyone like that? 
damn hot takes on the Illuminous podcast. <laughs> about art, a subject we definitely know a lot about and are yes. totally educated and on. artists from 70 years ago. <laughs> so Seth, I wanted to bring this one back home. I'm talking about stuff happening here. Here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I know you've been away from the home for a while. But I'm sure you've heard. Forgotten what it's like down there in good old GA. You have, man. You weren't here for Michael. You didn't experience a storm. I survived it, by the way. Uh, Clearly. Big old limb. Almost landed on my room, but I I was fine. I was okay. I made it through the night. Um, But now I want to talk about another disaster that's unfolding right now. And that is the Georgia gubernatorial election. You heard much about this stuff? Yeah, a lot of um, fucked up shit as far as uh, voter suppression and uh, who is in charge of voter suppression has uh, come up a lot in Georgia today, or this past week. Yeah, so you know about this, huh? What what, what have you heard? So, basically, and this is also, some of this is actually happening in uh, the state I live in as well, which will remain undisclosed. Uh Um... So, basically, they're trying to make it harder for black people to vote. Can I, can I just say that? Yeah. Yeah. And, not, I mean, pretty much all Democrats, but mostly the black ones. And the disabled ones as well, which is kind of fucked up, too. Um, so, they've, they're doing that. But the, the, the worst part about it is that, from what I've heard, the person in charge of deciding who's like who, what polls are closing and who's getting to vote in Georgia is um, her opponent. Yeah, that's true. So that seems fucked up. And yeah. on that note, I will, I will point out real quick that I did mention, I didn't mention this, and I'll go ahead and say it. I live in North Carolina. I know the veil has been lifted on where do I live. Um, today, I literally read a report where they were like, we are closing Sunday voting in these two counties because, and this is like literally verbatim, because they're disproportionately black and are going to vote Democrat. That's literally in the report. I mean, they just said it. They said it out loud. Yeah, they're like not even trying to hide it anymore. And they're trying to present it as if it was like, oh yeah, we're just trying to do this to like make things more fair. Like, oh, there's all the, there's too many black people over here, so we can't let them vote. That'd be insane. It would have swing the election and, you know, the, the way of their interests. That'd be crazy. It's, I mean, nor, at least like, in the past they had to keep this shit under wraps, you know, and, like, say other stuff to make excuses. But now they're just like, oh, for, it's just we want to disrespect black, black people. They can't vote. Yeah, basically. And it's kind of fucked up. Or very fucked up. Which is just, like, absurd. Like, I mean, th- that was back in 2016. What the fuck, dude? I mean, they just they just said it out loud and everyone was just like, yep, cool. All right. Sounds fine. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me more about uh, what you know about what's going on in Georgia. So, in Georgia right now, the race is between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. Stacey Abrams is uh, a Democrat. She is black. She, if elected governor, would be the first black female governor of a state in the United States, I believe. There's not been one before. And Brian Kemp is the current Secretary of State for uh, our, our, our um, right now for Georgia. And uh, in gubernatorial politics, um, the Secretary of State handles elections, which if you're then running for governor doesn't seem like that. That's in a conflict of interest, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a little bit. Like maybe you shouldn't be able to do this anymore. 
But the basically 53,000 people were purged from the voter rolls. And the reason this happens is because of a what used to be an informal policy, but is now a law. And it's called the exact match law, which is if your name or your voter registration information doesn't exactly match or pretty clo- pretty closely exactly match your driver's license or social security information, your registration won't be completed until you verify that you are who you say you are, which is something you have to go do at the courthouse and shit, bringing two forms of ID and everything. So if your name is even slightly different on your registration from what it is on, on file, they can just like basically shelve your application forever until you come down there and fix it. And you're not notified, you're not told about this, you just you just happens. And it's pretty fucked up because it's like there's the fucking exact match, but then there's the pretty closely exact match, which is leaving it up to human discretion, which is when, the point when you you allow for bias to enter in. Yes. Because after looking at it, it turns out that the uh, of the 53,000 people who were purged on the voter rolls, 70% of them are black. And if you include other minority groups, in particular Latinos and Asians, you get to 80%. Hmm. And Coincidence? They were sued about this. The state was sued... Uh, about this a couple of years ago. And so they went ahead and changed it from an informal policy in the Secretary of State's office to a full-blown law, which was passed very easily through the legislature. And so now they're being sued again, both the both the state and Brian Kemp are being sued over this. Uh, but, but Florida has a pretty much identical law on the books, and a federal court upheld them. And let's face it, the Supreme Court is not going to help us here. Uh wasn't before, definitely not going to do it now. Yeah, Supreme Court has uh, kind of kind of null and void at this point. Yeah. And uh, it goes on to say that uh, they're like, oh, Brian Kemp, he just has this sort of like top-level control. Most of things are done at the local level, so it's all up to the local precincts about how they handle these kind of things. And I'm just like... That doesn't really help when you, when the, they stack those precincts with people who support them, right? Yeah. And they try to think. I, mean, I, I got this information by the way from NPR, which uh, do you know what NPR stands for? National Public Radio. Nice, polite Republicans. Okay. Um, and basically, it's just like uh, Brian Kemp is saying, "Oh, I was doing everything I can make make Kemp it easy to vote in Georgia." And that Georgia has a record number of registered voters, which is 6.9 million. Nice. Um, including over 200,000 new voters since just the May primaries. So they're trying to say, oh, well, it's no big deal because we have all the registered voters on file. It's a record high. So these 53,000 people we, we purged don't matter. Uh, I say fuck that. I say look at the numbers, right? Look at the fucking numbers of those, those voters. Do you know what the Do you know what the uh, uh, racial breakdown of Georgia is? Let me hear it. We have one of the highest proportions of black uh, of black people in any state in the nation. We have about 40 percent, right? Somewhere in there. Wow, that's uh, actually lower than I thought it was. I, I, I guess probably from where we come from, we we came, we come from a pretty uh, poor, I guess, area. So yeah. we probably uh, had more exposure. Yeah, I would have thought fifty fifty to be honest, but. Yeah, 30-40, and so that is not proportional 
to the people who were purged from the voter rolls. It's it's way higher over there. So obviously there was bias. Yeah. Brian Kemp and his his goons were afraid that Stacey Abrams would, uh, I mean, because she's black, they think, because of course they're racists, that black people vote as one big block of people. They're all going to vote Democrat. Because like I said, in your in your North, North Carolina thing, it was like black people disproportionately vote Democrat, which, again, is pretty fucked up to say, right? Yes. So I mean, it's, it's validated. But it's kind of fucked up to say that's why you're suppressing them. Yeah, it's like, it's like we're, okay, we're, we're we're distributing on a basis of race because we know this race. Because uh, we know in we'll lose votes for the other side. Ask yeah. yourself why they vote for the other side. Exactly, and it's like we're we're gonna keep them from voting uh, because if not, we'll lose. So it'll be like, what if in the NBA finals it was like, oh, we're, LeBron James can't play because we'll lose. Like what? What kind of you can't just make that rule? Who gets to make that rule? You know? It's, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's real fucking stupid. And so, uh, I guess if you're listening to this, you probably know a little bit about uh, uh, politics and maybe a bit from Georgia. But this is this is huge. This is huge for us because we have a very important election coming up. And Stacey yeah, Abrams is fighting tooth and nail to win a fucking seat in this racist ass state and the racist ass people who live in this state are making it harder and harder and harder for her to win yeah and i will say that i have looked at stacy abrams policies and i've i've looked at them for a while now and i don't like most of them most of her stuff is way too vanilla middle of the road for me like she focuses a lot on access to affordable health care access to affordable housing we need to you know uh, uh, promote mental health care for for, for uh, uh, to keep guns from from killing people or whatever you know a lot of very much it's very stock Democrat right it's it's nothing interesting or, or different I do especially have an issue with her section of her website which talks about her position on jobs economy and infrastructure because uh, Seth, this is nothing but let's give people tax credits. Let's generate thousands of jobs through small business capital programs and uh, uh, just uh, set a goal of 22,000 apprenticeships to build a stronger path to the middle class. And just none of that is going to help anybody. None of that is transformative or, or forward-thinking or inspiring, to be honest. It's None of it inspires anything in me. Would you vote for a candidate if their the main plank of their platform was that they wanted every item in McDonald's to have the word pussy in it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely vote for that person. Yeah, I would vote for it. I'd vote for them almost no matter what. Almost. Pussy Extreme. That's my, that's, that's yeah. my name. The McPussy... <laughs> the, uh, pussy nuggets. P- oh God! You took the pussy, the pussy, uh, pussy shake. Pussy wrap. <laughs> uh, the the Mick. Oh no, the uh, griddle pussy. Pussy yeah. griddle. I don't know. Pussy pussy flurry. Oh man. Yeah, it'd be great. But yeah, um, yeah. I don't want. We talk about this a lot. I don't want anyone to think that we're like Stacey Abrams heads or anything, because obviously, almost no Democratic candidate in America really represents what we believe in. 
Mm-hmm. But what is fucked up is people who want to vote for her and do actually believe in what she's saying can't vote for her uh, because of voter suppression. Yeah. So, and I'll say this. I'm yeah. going to vote. I check, make sure I'm registered, and I am. I'm going to go vote, and I'm going to vote for Stacey Abrams. I'm not, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going to fucking mince words here. I'm, I may be uh, a crazy, lunatic communist, but I can recognize that Stacey Abrams is better than Brian Kemp. Yeah, we're kind of in this this war right now where even if you're a person who's on as much as the left as we are, you still right now have to vote for Democrats because they're the only – they're in a sense closer to you than the Republicans – so you, you, I mean, there's no reason to vote for Republicans anymore. Like that's just dead. Like you have you have to get past that. Once we get Democrats in office, we can get some socialists in office, and then from there we can start to really explore our interests. So it's a it's a gradual process we have to deal with. Um. Yeah. I would I would say that here's the thing. I'm not telling anybody you got to vote for Democrats. All right. I'm saying if you're going to go vote. Go vote for for uh, the, the 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 candidate who most aligns with your perspective, which I think most people who would who would listen to our podcast are gonna be on the left. I know that Democrats aren't really left like we are, but they're closer to that than the other side. And when I really if you listen to this people, podcast, if you listen to this podcast and you're a Republican, come on the podcast. <laughs> we'll talk. Drop us a line. Yeah. But I, I, will, I want to discourage leftists, and I know this is, a, this is a rare thing, but I keep seeing the sentiment. I want to discourage you from going to the polls and voting for a Republican because of some notion of accelerationism. Um, that is going to backfire on us if we do that. I, I, I cannot stress this enough. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's like, I don't want to spoil the movie Infinity War for anyone. It's a big movie. <laughs> But, like, that kind of thing, it's like when Dr. Strange is sitting there throwing his head around and he's like, oh, I saw 14 billion scenarios. And which one of them did accelerationism work? One. You know what? Let's not try it. Okay? It's not worth it. Like, I'm an accelerationist in the sense that it's happening and we're not going to be able to really stop it. But we don't need to put our foot on the gas anymore, right? It's There's already a cinder block on that thing. We yeah. don't have a choice. So... You don't worry, people. You can vote for the for the for the lesser of two evils, and we're still going to end up at what is probably going to be an armed revolution at some point. So don't 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 worry about about that happening at all. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's. I'm not going to become one of those like anti electoralism people because I I do think that ele- elections can be used as a locus, a focal point for energy, you know, for interest, for getting people involved. But we can't... Okay, so you know how before World War II, the American military's policy was, oh, we're going to war, conscription, build up a bunch of people, throw them at the problem, and then we'll go home, we'll disband and go home. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we treat elections now. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where the election is just a, 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 a flare-up, right, we have to worry about, but we need to continue, we need to have that system in place for the next one. And I realized when I said that out loud now that we haven't won a single war since World War II, but I think you get my point. But we've never lost a world war. That's so. true. We haven't won the we haven't lost the big ones yet. Yeah. When we take on the big boys, we win. So I guess there's that. So I've got I've got something to talk about. 
Oh man, oh boy, I'm excited. I know. Um, this is a big, big announcement for me. I'm not. I'm not happy about this, and no one should be. But we've talked about it a couple times on this podcast before. I, as big of a fan as I am of this man, I am no longer going to defend Kanye West. Oh, really? Yes. Um, what happened? What hasn't happened? I mean, he has taken this whole Make America Great Again hat, meeting with Trump, uh, the speech that got cut from SNL because he got booed off the stage for like making a Trump speech. He's It's gone way too far. He has... He talked about in the beginning how the reason that he liked Trump or whatever is because Trump was a disruptor and people treated Trump the same way they treated Kanye. And in some ways that's kind of true. But at the end of the day, he has – I mean for a man who once went on live television and said George Bush doesn't care about black people, he is very much buddying up with a president who could give a shit about black people. So – for that reason, I'm, I'm not going to stop listening to his music. I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm just going to forget that I like this person because of this. He hasn't done anything like that I will consider heinous, like rape or something yet. I shouldn't say yet. I hope he never does that. Um, but just because of all this stupid shit he's doing and all of his Trump love, I'm no longer going to defend Kanye West people. I've been doing it for so long. I did it through all this other crazy bipolar fits he's had. And even when pe- people were like, oh, he's just an idiot and he's just trying to get attention, I always defended him through all that, but not anymore. I'm fucking done with it. He is just trying to get attention and he's try- and he's doing it in a very, very disgusting way that is very much detrimental to um, a culture that he has helped breed um, in America. So I'm done with talking or about defending Kanye West. Uh, that that's that's my spiel about this. Did you hear or see Snoop Dogg joke about him? Uh, which one? He's made a couple tweets. The what MAGA stands for for Kanye? No. Music ain't getting attention. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That seems pretty accurate to be honest. So. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, Ti, rapper from Atlanta, Georgia. So obviously, I rep him. Had. Um, when it, when it, Kanye had his initial breakdown um, with all this Trump stuff, T.I. went and saw him the next day and like talked to him and like went on Instagram. I was like, oh, no, Kanye's actually in the right place. He's just like going through some stuff. And then after hit Kanye's most recent meeting with Trump, he said the same thing I did. He's like, I'm done with Kanye. He's, he's actually taking this stuff too far, and I, I'm not going to defend him anymore. So I am, I'm very much with T.I. on this. I can't, I can't really sit here and just – let Kanye be Kanye anymore. So I am going to uh, go against him and talk and not try and defend him all the time. And for anyone who is maybe don't doesn't know much about Kanye West or something, but only has only seen him in the recent news, uh, go back to it, an album uh, called Late Registration and listen to the song Crack Music, and you will see why, like how much this man has changed in a matter of years. Um, from being able to write lyrics like that about oppression in America um, and to where he is now. So, yeah, it's it's just gone too far for me. Isn't it because his mom died? Isn't that sort of the accepted theory? His mom died. That's, that's when a lot of shit happened, like the whole, like, Taylor, he ended up in Taylor Swift thing and, you know, just doing all this other weird shit. He's gone through fits where he's been, like, kind of happy again and then 
kind of back to being weird and in between, and now he's on his Trump stuff. Um, but I'm only—I mean, hey, I—I do—I wouldn't wish that on anyone for their parent to die. But at some point, you gotta take—you gotta take responsibility for your actions. You can't continue to wear this. And then another thing that's really terrible is he wears this "Make America Great Again" hat, and he says, "Oh, it's a symbol for like love and." All this, and then he keep all he he keeps saying we should start a dialogue in America. We should start a dialogue about the stuff that's going on. And sure, we should. But then anytime someone asks him to actually talk about his opinions, he's he's just like, oh, I, I don't I don't talk about this. I just I can't talk. You're, you're like a- attacking me. And it's like, okay, well I don't know what you want anymore. So Connor needs to make up his mind, realize he's being fucking stupid, listen to his own damn music, and then get back to being a fucking functional member of society. Yeah, what, what the what I heard the, the new sort of wrinkle, I guess, in the whole like it was it was the death of his mom thing, was that you know you know you know why she died was because it was an elective procedure that he paid for. Yes. I mean, I can see how it would fuck you up if you, if you felt responsible for your mom's death. Of course. Maybe not enough to become a Trump fan or whatever. Or go on a. I mean, how yeah. many years has it been now? Like, it's been a long time. His mom died in 08, or 07 or 08, I believe. It's like basically a 10-year it's, it's been a decade. Down. And I also heard that he's pushed away everyone in his life that used to like try and keep him on the level, like Jay-Z. Like, they don't yeah, him, really him and Jay-Z anymore. have a fractured relationship now. So that probably contributes to it, you think? A lot of stuff. Once again, what you're saying right now is you're trying to defend him, and I'm not defending him anymore. I'm not defending him. I'm, so, I'm trying to analyze the the cause of this. Like, once, how has it gotten again, so bad? Exactly. It's gotten bad. His mom died ten years ago. I know that sucks, but I don't think it's just that. And I do think he has a mental disorder. I do. I think he obviously has like bipolar or one of those other. Dis- I mean, he's been apparently diagnosed with bipolar. Um, some other some other thing going on. He clearly has that. Just. Um, from the way he talks and the way he like all his mannerisms but i don't know if that makes a person fundamentally change the way they see american politics so much in that amount of time so i don't know how else to explain it you know i have heard this is not a plot of kanye this is a different subject i guess Mm -hmm. that people who have traumatic head injuries can come back from that uh conservative you heard about this yeah, I've heard a couple because like it uh, there's like a there's basically like an actual like personality core in your brain that can get messed up. Yeah, because the two people I think of the, when I think of this are two people who had head injuries were Tila Tequila, who is now like a fucking Nazi, despite yeah, being Asian or whatever. How does that work? I don't know. And then Kevin Sorbo had a head injury as well, which he came back before he had the head injury. According to his friends, he was a pretty much apolitical or moderate guy, right? And now he's like a big Jesus freak, conservative type. And I feel, I mean, I don't, I don't think Kanye has a head injury or anything, but it is weird. We're, talk, we're talking about, you know, massive shifts in political opinion. It is just weird that that's a, that seems to be a thing. Yeah. Like, no one's coming back from head injury turning liberal or, or, or communist all of a sudden. So, I don't know, man. Maybe you maybe a fucked up brain just makes you more, more evil. I guess. And that's, okay, let me rephrase what I just said. A, uh, uh, a damaged brain? Like, that guy Thomas Gage, right? The guy who had the railroad spot go through his head? Yes. They, they said when he got... he When he when, you know, he survived, he was, like, really ill-tempered and everything. And that could be from the fact that he had a railroad spot through his head. 
But it could also be that maybe it damaged some part of his brain that made him more made him more of a of a uh, unpleasant guy. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a brain doctor. I don't have a degree in this. Probably shouldn't listen to my opinions on. That's true. On brain. I, I'm also not a brain doctor. Um, but yeah, that's spiel on Kanye. Um. Uh, um, if anyone's gonna ask me to defend him anymore, it's not gonna happen until so he our, changes himself. For our fans who don't listen to that much rap music, um, mm-hmm. who should who would you recommend instead? Who should listen to instead of South Kanye? Oh, if they're gonna stop listening to Kanye, or if, if, if they're interested or whatever, like Kanye is bad or whatever. But who's other who's Seth's, who's Seth's guy that we should listen to? I mean, if you want to listen to somebody who's, I mean, just somebody who's really smart, there's, I mean, no better than Kendrick Lamar. Um, there's a lot, I mean, all of it's really, honestly, every one of his albums is um, very, very good. And, yeah, you know, Ken- Kendrick Lamar is a good one if you want to start somewhere. Um, Recently Deceased, Mac Miller is a good one. Not as much, not, he's not as much of a guy who has politics in the mind, but very, very good stuff. So, yeah. If if you really, I think if you if you're a person right now who doesn't listen to a lot of rap and you do want to like kind of understand what the hype is about, I think Kendrick Lamar is kind of the guy you should listen to right now. Okay. And I will I will I will uh, plug the uh, Lineals endorsed uh, uh, the coup. Listen to their stuff. They're very they're they're very much in line with our politics and uh, pretty good music to boot. So to boot to boot Riley actually. Yep. You see what I did there? No one cares. Next. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk about the most schizophrenic article I, I, I read. The most weirdly just bouncing back and forth article I read this entire week. Um, okay. It's titled... Alright, brace yourself for this, Seth. Whew. Politics can't solve our political problems. Hmm. This is written by Ben Sass, who is a fucking senator. Nice, nice. It's like those senators guys who are like they don't want to bring politics into their decision about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Well, Seth, you you're off to a good start. Listen to this. This is the opening paragraph of the, uh, our opening two paragraphs this, of this uh, article. Um, the Supreme Court confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh didn't fully break the nation, but it did prompt more Americans to wonder if that moment is approaching. It's been a while in coming. Over the past year, I've heard thousands of my Nebraska constituents and dozens of my colleagues in the Senate of both parties say roughly the same thing. It feels like we're at a tipping point, and X or Y might be the final make-or-break battle. Most Republicans and Democrats are placing politics at the center of their lives. Both sides seem to believe that a grand solution to our political dysfunction can be found inside politics. If only we could vanquish those evil people waving a different banner. This thinking goes, we'd be on the road to national recovery. Alright. A lot of things in this in this this That's this, like these two a, paragraphs. A, a tale of two cities opening. It's like your English teacher asks if you can even understand all the stuff that has happened. It's like, okay, you, you start off talking about the fact that the, the, the nation is breaking and people are wondering if there's a, a make-or-break battle coming, okay? And then you say that that battle is going to be in the... Or that, that people think it'll be in the political arena. Which is, no, 
it's people are wondering if we're gonna have to have a fucking civil war to solve this problem. It's not. People aren't worried about some battle in the Senate or the Congress or the presidency for the soul of the fucking nation. That's stupid. We've already seen that doesn't work. People are thinking about a real in the streets battle. Yeah, we're talking about a violent revolution in the streets. And so, uh, this is the beginning of an article that just starts to swing back and forth because Ben Sass wants to, to, to blame all of our American troubles on political tribalism. Which is, what, is, what does the word tribalism even mean? Does he know? I don't think he does. Yeah, it's a weird word to use. Um, I hear it a lot more these days. People are saying that that we, we, we have tribes or our political tribes or our, our, our tr- different tribes people are located in. And for Ben Sass, this, this means one thing. This means that we are separated from our communities and from our families and our friends because of... Do you want to guess what the reason is, Seth? Do you, you want to know what... Do you, you, you want to guess the, the big divider of Americans is? Let me hear it. I will tell you, my friend, it is smartphones. Mm, the great generational divide, yes. It's like, okay, listen to this part. All right, just, just, just break yourself with this one, okay? None of this should surprise us. Americans today have fewer shared projects than our parents and grandparents did, and we belong to fewer civic groups. Because we change jobs more often, we have fewer lasting work friendships. We delay marriage, have fewer children, and live in larger homes more separate from those of our neighbors. We move from place to place for relationships, economic opportunity, and better weather, and we end up with economic opportunity and better weather. He's talking about two very different groups of people here. Yeah, that's insane. What? That doesn't describe me at all. When he said larger homes, I was like, wait, you what? You're, you lost me here. Yes, yeah, no, 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 no. The homes are larger. They're just, they, it's the entire apartment complex counts as the home. <laughs> it's like he stops talking about poor people in the middle of a sentence and starts talking about, about uh, wealthy people or, or comfortable people, right? Yeah. Hell, I wish I could choose where I work based on what weather I like the most. But, and not about w- what jobs you can possibly find yeah, to apply what to. Jobs, no, not even that I can apply. Jobs that will hire me. That's true. Like, I can apply to any job in the fucking country, but which ones are going to hire me is the question. So it's like, a, a, again, he has rapidly bounced back between two different groups of, of people and two ways of thinking because the first part of that paragraph describes my situation and I think your situation and the situation of a lot of people and then suddenly just snaps over to a whole, a much smaller group of people who have a much yeah. different set of problems. And he goes on to say that, um, you know, smartphones and the internet are part of this. We spend so much time online connected to people who have apparently more interesting lives and we want to live in that world more than we want to live in our world. Hmm. Yes, that's why I use my smartphone. And I want to think, I just want to say, are you sure that it's not people want to escape from the shittiness of this world into a shared experience with others online? Yeah, it's it's something that, it's one of those things that comes up a lot. It's like people talk about how there's like, oh, why are, why are millennials all like t- 
talking about suicide all the time. Why are why do millennials like why do they like to stay in and sleep on Saturdays instead of fucking I don't even know what people are supposed to do on Saturdays or whatever. That's because all I do is sleep. Um, and it's like, what is up with this lack of motivation and this lack of uh, work ethic is one thing that I don't like that they use that millennials have. And it's mostly, it's not because we lack work ethic or because we were given participation trophies when we were kids. And it's not because um, we want things handed to us. It's because we've realized that we live in a very, very crushing society and it's very, very hard these days for someone just to make things happen for themselves. Um, and the ones that do get very, very lucky and the ones that don't get even more punished economically. So a lot of us are able to scrape by with what we make and what we can get out of the, the jobs that we're able to get. And we don't have any, we don't have the energy to do anything extra because we realize that all that energy could be for, could be for not and could even lead to a larger economic pressure on our shoulders. Yeah, exactly. And we always see this. We see this all the time. These articles that are like, here's how this millennial is going to retire at 28 or a youngest billionaire in the world at 23 or something. And every single time you go past the headline, you read the body of the article. What do you find in there? You find, Oh, thanks to a small loan of a million dollars from my parents or Thanks be to uh, uh, our parents letting us live in uh, in the house rent free um, in one of the best cities in the world. Uh, we were able to save money. Of course, they were able to save money because they have a, a, a they have a gilded start. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It's kind of disgusting when you realize how many people actually like come from money. Um, it's like there's not there's not even many viable ways for an actual like rags to riches story anymore. Hell, the other day, and this isn't, like, insane, but the other day I was reading an article about um, Ellie Kemper from The Office and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, mm-hmm. and how she, like, started out doing UCB, like, improv with a bunch of, like, people who do podcasts that I know, like, a lot of cool, like, skits, very funny stuff, and then I was reading the comments, and it was like, oh, it must be easy to do that when you're the daughter of a billionaire, and I was like, what? And yeah, her grandfather owns, like, in some huge banks in America and, like, gave them to her dad, and she just comes from, like, one of the wealthiest families there is. Jesus Christ. Um, so the reason that she was able to do UCB improv and all those dumb skits was because she had this incredible economic safety net behind her and didn't have to go do other jobs and everything, which, no slight to her, I'm sure she's a fine person, but I'm just saying it was much easier for her to get to be a famous person because she had all these, these economic safety nets behind her um, from her rich parents. Yeah. And I'll say that I, I read and follow all people who are who are fine people. They're they're totally okay. I like them as, as human beings who write for certain websites or they do podcasts or other types of what we would think of new media type stuff. And then you look at it and you like you 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 hear more about their histories and you realize that they come from the upper class. They have parents that are wealthy, comfortable, somewhere in that range. And they are able to support their children's, let's let's call it, unusual lifestyle with that money. Because, I just want to point out, writing for BuzzFeed is not going to pay the fucking bills for most people. Yeah, and I'll say this. Even being able just to like live like rent-free, like if you have parents pay for your apartment, or you like live in one of their eight houses that they own, takes an insane amount of economic pressure off of somebody. If I didn't have to pay rent, I would actually be like 
probably a much better off person. Like yeah. I wouldn't have to fucking scrape for money anymore. Um, just just from rent alone. Like if that that's just one thing that's taken off. And if you, if you have parents to pay for all this other stuff, so much more becomes easier and easier to do. I saw this tweet today. This guy was like. You know, money can't solve all your problems. And a reply to it was, no offense, but money would literally solve all of our problems right now. Not joking. You know, and that's a hundred percent true. You know who says money won't solve all your problems? People who have money. Yeah. Um, but to continue here with Ben Sass, yes. I'm gonna I'm not gonna read this whole fucking article because it's too long and it's bullshit. But here's one more revealing little section. Okay. Americans have always had political disagreements with their neighbors, but in the past, political disagreements would disappear when Friday night ball games rolled around and the whole town turned out wearing the same colors and cheering for the same team. Today our towns are hollower and we're not on the same team anymore. Fuck off. Yeah, what the fuck kind of lame-ass retarded paragraph is that? Are these guys still living in the fucking 80s? The 50s to the 80s? Somewhere in there? What the fuck? Yeah. The ball game? Who's Kill yourself. I mean, maybe football here in the South would fill that goal, but no, fuck you. Even then, like, most folks could give a shit about the fucking football game. Yeah, I went to every single football game my high school ever had, and I never watched a single second of football. <laughs> I just went there to, like, fucking hang out with my friends by the bleachers and by the concession stand. Like, we really didn't watch any football. Fuck fucking... What local sports are supposed to, like break the political divide in america fuck that no not, not at all and then here's a, a skip of one paragraph which is talking about basically he says that uh a part of the problem is the habit the habits and the attitudes of elites by quote elites i mean just about everyone reading this the mobile educated class Professor Putnam defines the elite as the people with at least one parent who graduated from college, which puts them in the top socioeconomic third of society. Does that describe us? Uh, not last time I checked. I mean, maybe no. I didn't check my social status lately. Our uh, dad went to, to, to technical school when, God, I was, in, I was in middle school when that happened. Yeah, I was very young when it happened. And before that, he was a trucker. Our mom has always been a, like a, a, an office worker at, a, at, at like a bank and then moved on to other work. We do not come from this mobile, educated class. Like, we both went to college, sure. I would not yeah. describe us as particularly fucking mobile. Yeah. We're both paying out of the goddamn ass for it, too. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, hey, hey, good news, by the way, Lemuel's Nation and for Seth. My student loans are finally down to $6,300. Damn, and you took out, like, a third of what I took out. I took out literally 11000 Yeah, that's, like, nothing. I and I've been paying them back for six years. Yeah. That's fucked up. Interest is a bitch. It is a fucking bitch, dude. Um, so Interest yeah, is slavery. Um, that's kind of all I wanted to really say on Ben Sass. He's an idiot. He, he None of it fucking makes sense. Yeah. And he's talking about very different groups of people. And overall, uh, he's a moron, and I hope that he is struck dead by a meteor from outer space, traveling at about 0.2% the speed of light, and that we will also destroy all life on Earth. Um, and we can all be free of this, this horrible, horrible hell. Yeah, sounds actually beautiful. Fuck off, NSA, alright? Um, so yeah, that was our... That was our 
that's sort of the end of, of mainline politics for this, for this uh, episode. Do you have anything else you want to talk about, Seth? Uh, I guess I got some, I guess may, maybe this is mainline politics. I don't know. Bring it on. I didn't get the memo. Oh, no, I'm so have, uh, I mean, I don't know. Let's, let's see how it goes. I do have an article here from uh, medium.com um, about universal basic income. With uh, It's by Douglas Rushkoff. I know nothing about him, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, the title of the article is Universal Basic Income is Silicon Valley's Latest Scam, which is, I'd say, a hard-hitting headline, right? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times, especially on this podcast, when we talk about um, universal basic income, it's a good thing, and it mostly is. And this, 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 the author of this does agree that universal basic income is a good thing, but the point he makes here is um, – so he's a business analyst, apparently, who's like worked with some big companies like Google, Facebook, and Uber. Um, and recently he went and gave unpaid advice to Google, which he thought was weird. And then and he did stuff at Uber. And when he was at Uber, the idea of universal basic income got brought up. And um, through his conversations at Uber, he realized that if UBI was to ever get implemented in its current um, ideation by people in Silicon Valley, it would basically be a way to keep you just poor enough where you still need to rely on all of their services and still work for them, but you have just enough money where you feel like you're okay. I think, I think I'm paraphrasing that pretty well. Yeah, that seems accurate. So basically what he's saying here is, you know, yes, UBI is important and it's something that's going to be very important for society if we're ever gonna um if we ever want to liberate lower classes in any way possible um but if it is taken if it's carried out in the wrong hands it's going to be very destructive and basically keep us where we are and but and keep us in this uh stagnant state of thinking we're almost okay yeah i would say that ubi is a a, a decent goal but the first step has got to be dismantling capitalism because if, if all it's going to do is keep just enough wealth circulating among the, the bottom classes so you can keep spending money on goods and services and keep making people like Bezos and Zuckerberg and whoever else richer, then it doesn't accomplish the transformative kind of change we're going to need to not just improve our standard of living but save the fucking planet. So, yeah, corporate UBI needs to be very carefully, not even carefully considered, needs to be, you need to be aware of this. When when Zuckerberg or Mark or, or Warren Buffett are out here saying we need to implement UBI, you need to give that a real fucking long side eye. Yeah, because um, all those guys directly benefit from economic oppression in America. So if, you, if they're touting something that you would consider to be a good thing for you, Maybe take a second thought because they obviously have a sinister idea behind it or a, a way to implement it that won't actually make you happy. Yeah, and it, and it changes nothing about the, the relationship of labor to capital. It doesn't, it doesn't deliver any sort of democratic control or means of production to anybody. So, I mean, at best, it's a stopgap measure, and at worst, it is a, 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 a dystopian nightmare. That's a, that's a pretty good way to put it. But yeah, the article goes on. I mean, it's, it's it basically just talks about that for a little bit. Um, and 
There's some interesting um, statistics right here. Uh, almost kind of gets into a uh, an idea of why stuff like affirmative action is so important. Um, so here's a, a line. Uh, for instance, African-American families earn a little more than half the salary on average that white families do in America, which is a pretty shocking st- uh, statistic when you think about it. Um, it does make sense when you think about um, if you're talking about median income, it's pretty similar. But since a lot of the top half um, of wealth is l- unproportionately white, it makes all the black income very, very low. And it goes on to important that, that um, actually about that median that I was talking about, is that more important to, the, to this disparity is the fact that the median wealth of white households in America is 20 times that of African-American households. Damn. Yes. So it goes it goes on it kind of like a top of the affirmative action it says so even if an african-american child who has grown up poor gets free admission to college they'll still likely lag behind due to the lack of assets um and yeah ba- basically that uh that this is where the article kind of breaks down for me and that i feel like that's something that mostly is targeted at upper class white people because like even like if like you know with us like going to college it's suck no matter what. Like if somebody else went to college free, that would be an amazing thing compared to what we have to do. Um, because having to pay off this debt for the rest of my for basically the rest of my life is going to suck. Um, but however, like they're saying, if you do have if your family has economic assets and had to pay for your entire college, it's not that big because your family one has the money to pay for it. Two, you probably had a lot of you know nice stuff growing up, a lot of advantages when it comes to like the kind of education you were able to receive, and also you probably have some level of job connections just through having wealthy parents because if you have wealthy parents they probably do something in a job market that you can exploit so it's just it's a bunch of interesting stuff about um why ubi is important but why we need to be careful about how we implement it yeah also i want to point out in this uh thing that you just that you just read there's another sentence right after that which says that after all those assets talking about uh, what a what a, a white family would have access to, um, or what make it possible for a white classmate to take a gap year to gain experience for hitting the job market, or take an unpaid internship, or have access to a nice apartment in Williamsburg to live in while knocking out that first young adult novel on spec, touring with a band, opening a fair trade coffee bar, or running around to hackathons. That does not describe what we have. Yeah, and it's basically exactly what we talked about earlier. People who's like, because their their parents afford them all these things, they they have the resources to do something extra. Um, And like, this article is right that the median black household income is lower than the median white uh, 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 household income. But like, think about the fact that if 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 we're if we don't have this, if we're lower on the economic ladder than this. How low will would a black family with our same sort of situation be compared to us? Way exactly. lower, right? It's I mean, very it unacceptable. But I do like this part right here as well. This next paragraph which says, "Had Andrew Johnson not overturned the original reconstruction proposal for free slaves to be given forty acres and a mule as reparation, instead of simply allowing them to earn wage labor on former slave owners' lands, we might be looking at a vastly less divided America today." Yes, yes. I'm I'm so glad this guy's pointed this out. Yeah, this is a, that is actually a really good paragraph. Very people want to talk about the fact that because we did not successfully reconstruct the South, that 
economically, race relations are so bad today because black people were disadvantaged from the word go. Yep. And I gotta say this, unpopular opinion amongst lots of people, we gotta have reparations. I don't think that's unpopular. I, I believe it too. I think there's a lot of liberals who would also disagree with that, though. I think leftists are kind of on board. No, no conservatives, but some liberals would also not want that. But I'm, I'm 100%. We need reparations. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, UBI, great in theory, but it has to be very carefully applied and definitely has to... I mean, there's arguments as to whether or not UBI will even apply in a post-capitalist world. Will we even need this? And so, call it what you want. We need to have a system where people can be can, uh, have resources given to them just to live because that's a, that should be a fundamental human right. Yes. As but we I, just got to be very careful. As I've said a hundred times on this podcast, basically the whole idea is we need to get to a point where there isn't a cost associated with living, with just being alive. Yeah. And that's what we need to get to, whether it be UBI or a total takedown of any kind of economic system. Something like that is what we need to make it so that people can just be alive and not have to worry about economic pressure. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about this week is uh, on a slightly lighter topic, but still very much um, relevant to us, uh, video games. Oh, yes. We want to talk about Rockstar. Rockstar and Games. Happy, fun time land for employees. Yeah, so what we found out recently, I think yesterday was when the article first came out, was that um, one of the founders of Rockstar, I believe, if I'm correct here, is uh, Dan Hauser. Or yeah, Dan Hauser was talking about um, you know how they how they could, how much work went into Red Dead Redemption Two, their, their game this week this this month that uh, like literally features uh, uh, horse balls that get smaller when it's cold. Did you see this? Yeah. So it's one of the most detailed games ever constructed, and yeah, it's going to be one of the most expansive games of all time. It's going to be huge, and what we're slowly learning, I think, especially since the the revelations of Witcher Three, uh, again before this, probably one of the most large and expansive games ever made, is that getting that kind of quality and attention to detail comes at the expense of hundreds of thousands of man hours. Yep. And so what Hauser said was that they sometimes would, uh, in crunch time anyways, towards the end of, uh, for people who don't know, crunch is like towards the end of of the game's development cycle, they start putting in much, like way longer hours and more work to finish it up. Now crunch is bad. I do not agree with crunch. Crunch has been scientifically proven that after a certain, after about, Eight or six hours, workers start to fall off in productivity. So it's not good, anyways. But Rockstar was saying that Dan Hauser was saying that they were working 100 hour weeks. Which is just insane. Like, even when I've talked about, like, when I've, I've heard about people who have had insane working hours, like, the highest I've heard is a 90 hour week. A 100 hour week is inhumane at the highest level. It says, I mean, okay, a hundred hour week, by the way, averages out to 14 hours over seven days each. Yes. Which is in fucking sane. Can you imagine working 14 hours a day, seven days a week? But if you work 14 hours, 
some people would look at this and say, oh, well, you still have 10 hours of free time. But if you worked 14 hours in a day, you probably sleep those whole 10 hours. Yeah. You would not want to do anything else but just get some goddamn peace and quiet and rest. And don't forget, you got to drive. Also, you got to commute to wherever it is you work from home. Yeah. So you don't have any, you probably, let's be real, you probably sleep six hours a night. Yeah, you probably, or you just sleep at the goddamn office. Yeah, which they have, they have uh, that. I usually, we're going to talk about this. Yes. But, uh, okay, so here's a little, here's some stats here real quick, or a short little paragraph on stats. Um, the finished game includes 300,000 animations, 500,000 lines of dialogue, and many more lines of code. Even for each RDR2 trailer and TV commercial, we probably made 70 versions. But the editors, they make several hundred. Damn. For a trailer. Fuck. Just the sheer amount of work goes into that. Yep. It's insane. And it's like, and it's a double-edged sword. Because hearing all this stuff, I was like, okay, well now I'm not going to buy Red Dead Redemption 2. Because Rockstar has terrible business practices. But if I don't buy it, then it reflects badly on the workers, not on the company. That's true. Because then the workers will get punished. They won't get their bonuses or, you know, whatever they're going to get. They won't be working on the DLC and stuff. I'm not that I'm saying that my one sale is going to matter. But I'm just saying, like, overall, like if a bunch of us were to protest it, it would only ever um, look bad on the workers. And... It's it's such a shitty scenario. Like there's I don't know I don't know what way I how can I express my disdain for what they're doing. I don't understand how to do it. Well, I mean yeah. But then today, uh, Dan Hauser came back um, to say that he wanted to clarify his comments. And there's a long thing talking about with no gun to his head or anything. Well, I mean he's the founder, so he's probably he probably got a gun to his head. Because listen to what he says. You'll, you'll be very careful to note what he says here. The first paragraph I'm not going to read. It's just about it's just about how oh crunch is just three weeks, just three weeks of a hundred hour of hundred hour uh, weeks. That's fine, whatever. Okay, fuck off. Second paragraph though is where it gets interesting. Uh, more importantly, we obviously don't expect anyone else to work this way. Across the whole company, we have some senior people who work very hard purely because they're passionate about a project or their particular work, and we believe that passion shows in the games we release. But that additional effort is a choice, and we don't ask or expect anyone else to work anything like this. Okay. Now. I think me and you both know this is bullshit. First of all, it's bullshit. And second of all, it's like, it's almost like saying a challenge to other game developers. It's like, yeah, I bet you won't work people 100 hours a week, and then they will, and then the workers are going to lose. And not even that, it's, it's challenging people in your own office. Yeah. Uh, like, I've been watching The Office recently. You remember the episode where Kathy Bates is in The Office and she's like they the new leave. owner of the company? And she won't leave. Yeah. And so they go to knock off at 5 o'clock and she's still there. And she never says to anybody, you have to stay here and work, but you can't go home while the boss is still there. Yeah. It's one of those unspoken things. I mean, so, I've done it, but I'm an anarchist, so... I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we we all have to follow this rule or anything, but th- there's I mean it's again it's like it's always always sunny. It's the implication. It's the implication. It's the implication that if you don't come and and work as hard as the boss does, you might not have a job for much longer. And it's just like you know that these guys would sit in their offices for fourteen fucking hours a day and 
their salaried employees who do, not, who do not get overtime or time and a half or any extra pay would also do it because they don't want to look bad in front of the boss. Yep. So they don't force you. No, there's no gun to your head saying you have to stay in the office and work. It's just an expectation that you have to stay home that you stay there and work. We're turning into fucking Japan. Yeah, we're we're not doing much better, honestly. We pride ourselves on the having the the freedom and every time we talk talk to somebody who loves America, they're like, Oh yeah, we're free here and we don't have all this we don't treat ourselves like the, the Eastern countries treat their people. Well, guess what? We're getting to that point. You know, I we're getting to the point where it's going to be like when a job opens up in America, there's going to be a line of 600 people who literally run at the office with their resumes while waiting for the for to to, to take in, to to uh, take someone in their Uber somewhere. You know, yeah. so it's just the gig economy and, and this kind of shit has just ruined us and. I do want to point out that in 2010, when uh, Red Dead Redemption was originally being made, there were reports that surfaced that said that, Ro- that Rockstar was forcing people to work uh, 12-hour days, uh, six days a week. So this does not strike me at all as being implausible. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt and do what you want to do as far as buying or not buying Red Dead Redemption 2. Um just know that Rockstar and CD Projekt Red and a lot of these game companies, um, they treat people like slaves. And I know of course people say, oh, but these guys are making, some of them are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yeah, they are. But that doesn't make them not a slave. It's like, and again, this is not us, this is not us saying the game is bad or saying that you, that you, you shouldn't play it or whatever or that these kinds of games shouldn't exist. They should but we could make these same games in a more ethical way with a more a more moral approach to economic distribution. We could you could wait an extra couple of years for your fucking video game in exchange for these people not having to work like to to work long hours. Way yeah, over I agree. Time. If like if and, literally if on the game the game's trailer it was like oh it's coming out in 2023 because we're only letting our people like go home and see their families. I'd be like all right cool. I'd be fine with that. I have plenty of things to do. It's just like... It's like... I keep saying it. I'm going to say it again. The future of video games, the future of art in general, is communism. Communism. You cannot create art with a profit motive for long. It will burn out, as we're seeing right now, because it gets bigger and more more expansive, and it gets more uh, 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 in-depth and challenging, and you have to make these things to keep people entertained and get their money... But you can't keep doing that for long because eventually you reach a point where you just turn your workers into slaves. And I say no. I say no, we shouldn't allow that to happen. Yep. But uh, I think that's going to do, do it this week for the Millennials Podcast. Yeah, I think so too. I think we've yeah, covered a... We, we've covered a good bit of ground this week. Yep. Um, so we will uh, we'll be back for long with another podcast. I want to say that uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, at MC Surf. I'm at Life of Seth. Um, our art is done by Marcus Barkley, who is unknowable and unfindable and unreachable. Our maybe theme song will be done by our former guest, Ben. We'll see. This is the um, second time. We've, we're 41 episodes in, and it's the second time you've promised us a, a theme song from Ben. He's a busy guy, so... Fair enough. Um... Fuck Kevin Durant and Tom Brady. 
Um, you can lead a horse to water, but won't get under it. We have stopped trying to out uh, to solve our problems, just trying to outrun them. And from New Orleans to New York, that's the Lino's podcast, baby. Take it easy. We're out. Out.